Well, hello, everybody. My name is David Dries. Uh, if we haven't met, um, my wife and I, Morgan, moved here from Ohio about three, almost three years ago in August. And so um, we kind of found Antioch on day five, and we haven't left, and it's been really wonderful. And um, I get a chance to come up here and talk for the next three weeks. Cody is, uh, yes, maybe. You, if you're like looking at church shop, maybe this is like the time to go do it. Cody will be back in three weeks. You're like, I don't know. I gotta check out some of the churches for a few weeks, then we'll be back. Um, so that's fine. Um, but we're so excited to this. And Cody is uh, at home taking care of um, Kate. She had some surgery, and so we just want to give them a space to to not have to stress about this. And so I get to do this. Um, before we dive in, we're gonna do something that's really really fun. Um, we have a team leaving Antioch on Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? Yes, Tuesday. And they're headed uh, 23 hours on a plane to uh, Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And, uh, woo! Yeah. Which is so cool. Uh, this was like a, a prayer and a dream for my, my wife, Morgan, and I to, uh, to be involved with a, an orphan home over there that we had initially involved ourselves in about 12 years ago when we were back in Ohio. And this dream, it's a long story, and so I won't go into it, but it came to fruition. And Antioch has, has said, hey, we'd love to jump in with you and make this a reality. And we'd love to, to be a part of 20 uh, kids' lives who have been rescued from having no parents in a land that is highly sex trafficked, to take care of them and teach them the gospel and give them education and food and love and parents and go for that. And so we said, hey, we need to uh, start sending our people over there because we don't want this to be something we stick on the fridge with a picture of some kids and we feel great about it, but we want them to feel like, uh, and not feel like, to be the extension of Antioch on the other side of the world. And so we said, let's do it. Let's get a trip going. And so uh, 12 brave souls have said, we, we want to do this. We want to pioneer it. We want to go over there and figure out what does it look like uh, for us to be a part of this, to build deep roots so that we're not just um, just driving around the world, just dropping in and doing good stuff, which isn't bad, but let's find a place that we can dive in and dig deep and have real relationships and really make an impact in, in people's lives with the gospel. And so that's going to happen uh, in a few days, which is so very exciting. And so what I want to do is I want to bring the team up uh, that is going. So come on up here, everyone. Yes. <laughs> So fun. Come on up. Come on up. This is awesome. I don't know if you've... Yeah. I don't know if you've ever flown 23 hours on a plane. Um, but just, just imagine yesterday at 5 was when they would have gotten on the plane. Think about what you were doing yesterday at 5. And then now was when they'd be exiting the plane on the other side of the world, which is amazing. So... Um, but these guys are going to go, and they're going to be our pioneers, and they're going to do some amazing stuff, and they're going to meet some amazing people. And we just want to, one, say thank you for doing this, because it, it takes a step of faith to go out there. And, and raising money is one thing, but, but saying, I'm going to go into a land that I do not know, into a group of people who don't really speak my language, uh, into a place that is 99% Buddhist, uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to step into that. And I'm going to love Jesus and love people. And I'm going to see what God has for me. So this is so brave and so fun. And I'm so excited you're doing it. But what we're going to do as a church is we're going to pray them out. We're just going to say, let's cover them in prayer. And, and I'll tell you this. My wife can attest to this. It's a, it's a really awesome place where it's really dark. It's really dark. Like in America, we live in this gray area where we don't really see the wickedness all the time. We don't see the glory all the time. We just kind of see Americanism. And over there, it's like, that's Jesus. And you're like, that's disgusting, nasty sin. And there really is no difference. And so they're going into a dark place. And so we want to cover them in prayer, not just now, but if you think about them, as you 
uh, are going about the next two weeks, just please pray for them. Pray for their experiences, pray for their interactions, and pray for their souls. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to pray, but we're going to do it in a way that they do in Cambodia. And so, um, and some of you are like, oh, this is already getting weird. Um, and that's okay. What we're going to do is I'm going to have everybody stand up in a second. And then in Cambodia, when they pray as a group, they don't have like one guy pray and everyone's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't do that. That's so American. Like, mm-hmm, yeah, like what he said. Those are cool words, right? What they do in Cambodia is everyone stands up and then everyone just prays. And it's not like, like, like murmuring prayer. It's everyone just prays at the normal audible level if you were the person in charge of praying. So as a group, we're going to get up and you're just going to pray for them. And then I'll come on the mic and, and pray over them and we'll say amen as a as a group, but that's how we pray, and so that's how we're going to do it, and that's what they're going to experience. So everyone, if you wouldn't mind joining in, and go. God, we just thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these people. Can we just do this your name? God, we just thank you for this. We thank you for them going over. Keep praying. We thank you that, uh, that you have ordained this from the beginning of time. And so we pray that the interactions and the people and the relationships they build are for eternity purposes. We lift them up. We pray for safety. Amen. Yes. Great. Give them a, give them a round of applause. Awesome. Okay. Take a seat. Take a seat. So when... Uh, I just really hate this. Okay. Um, when we were talking as a team about what we wanted to do this uh, season on, and we, we landed on Acts and the idea of things getting messy, we looked at the calendar, and we knew when the Gilmores were going on sabbatical and Kate's surgery was, and they said, okay, David, we'd love for you to do these three sermons. And I said, let's, let's do the math on that. That's Acts 6, 7, 8, 9. That's like when Stephen gets killed. That's the first one you want me to do. Just go up there and... He gets stoned to death as a martyr. You just get it. And I said, oh, okay, sounds great. Um, so that's where we're going. And this is one of those messages where I, where I am, I think it's cool what, what hopefully God has for us. Um, but it's also one of those things like, hey, don't kill the messenger kind of thing. So um, we're going to dive right in with it. But So let me set the scene. So we've been talking through Acts, and Acts is just the formation of the early church um, after, after Christ left and Pentecost and uh, the Spirit came down on them and, and empowered these uh, men and women to go out and preach the gospel very boldly. And we just see the church starting to blow up. I mean, Peter does a sermon and 3,000 people come. I think it's 3,000 or 5,000. I'm already inaccurate. Someone's got their red pen out just judging me. Um, 5,000 people will say, come to know Jesus. It's an incredible moment. The church is blowing up. And then it gets to this point where it's so large, like today, think about this, when you came in, if you came in a little late, um, and we're singing, you had to stand in the back, you're like, is there a seat up there? I don't know, I don't want to walk to the front, there's no way I'm sitting up there. Like, you, you, you had to figure out, because we have this capacity thing, right? There's, there's so many seats and so many people, and so what they started to see in the early church was, we have some problems showing up. And not problems with theology or issues, but problems with people who are getting missed. And what was happening was these widows from Greece who had become Christians, who had followed Jesus, they weren't called Christians then, um, who started following Jesus, they were widows, and when it came time to feed everyone, because we've talked in Acts 2 where they were literally sharing and eating bread together, and uh, hopefully more than just bread, but they were eating food, and um, these Hellenist widows were being missed, like they weren't getting fed, like someone dropped the ball on that experience, and so finally people came to Peter and them, and they said, hey, um, these ladies are getting missed, 
What do we do about that? And, and the apostles got together and said, okay, we have a structural issue here. We have to empower more people inside of our church to take care of all the issues and all the people and all the groups that are needing to be serviced by the church as a whole. And so that's like a good problem to have. It's like, well, we have too many people showing up. Like, that's not a bad thing. They were like, let's just figure it out. And so they get together, and they create this new structure, and they have to bring on new people to lead it. And so they get together, and they say, okay, let's pray over these guys, and let's do it. So let me, and we're just going to jump straight in, if that's okay with you. Even if it's not, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and so they get these guys together, and they say, hey, these six guys, let's pray about it. Anybody got any issues? Cool. Okay, great. And it says here in chapter 6, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Proctorius, Nicarar, I don't know, Bill, Timon, (laughs) Parmenius, and Nicholas. It's like they're like Philip, and then we'll end with Nicholas, and we'll throw all the other weird names in the middle. Um, And Nicholas from Antioch. How about that? One of ours. Um, And Noland. Um, It says, um, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so they send these guys out. And they're like, hey, we just need more people to be doing more stuff. And and they appoint them. And Philip is one of them. And listen to the description they have for Philip. It says they chose Philip, and they didn't give you any other descriptions of the other guys. So there's clearly a reason that Luke, who wrote Acts, is highlighting Philip. He says they chose Stephen. Why did I say Philip? It's not even true. Um, Philip, uh, I think Philip, I don't know who, who is Philip, whatever Philip, sorry. Um, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip was next on the list. And so they go out of their way to say, hey, this is who Stephen was. And so Luke, right off the bat, is saying, hey, there's something very specific about Stephen, and I want to highlight him amongst the other six, and then we'll come back to him. It says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So you have Stephen, he goes out, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's filled with the Word of God, and he's going out there, and he's performing miracles and signs and wonders, and he's preaching very boldly, and he's just this incredible, incredible guy. And if you know the history of what has already happened multiple times, that rubs people the wrong way. It rubs the establishment the wrong way. And so we're going to talk about that for just a couple seconds. But here's what I want to put up as a precaution right away. Let's not look at the establishment, the Sanhedrin people, and go, oh, they're the worst. They just stink. How can they not get on board with this? Like, let's not, let's not carte blanche judge them right off the bat. Because the reality of the situation is, they are struggling with this new movement for one reason or the other. They have something that is inhibiting them from hearing the, the true gospel and diving in with it. But let's not judge them either and just get mad at them. Let's acknowledge that they're in a place where they're struggling to figure out what truth is, and they're fighting against it because we, we naturally do that. I mean, half, most of the fights that my wife and I have isn't because she tells me, like, hey, I think you're wrong here. And I'm like, yeah, I am wrong, but I'm just going to fight to the death here. Usually it's because I'm like, no, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. And then we fight. And so I want to make sure that we look at these guys. They're, they're, not, they're not just out to crush the church because they hate the church. They're out because they literally are seeing things incorrectly or they're not seeing the truth that has not been revealed to them. And so that's the space that they're in. So let's go there. Um, can we pull up that first scripture? 
And so it says, after Stephen was doing some really cool stuff, it says, opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicily and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom of the, the Spirit gave him as he spoke. They made secret, they, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemy words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testify. This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. Hold on, man. So here's what happened. So Stephen is preaching. He's very bold. He's amazing things are happening. And these Jews from the synagogue come up and they say, hey, we don't like this. How can we get rid of it? And one guy's like, what if we make up a lie about him? And they're like, that's a brilliant idea. That worked with Jesus. Let's just do it again. And so they come and they say, hey, this guy, I heard this guy, he's blaspheming against God and against Moses. And people are like, Moses? No, he did not, right? You don't mess with Moses. And then the other guy's like, yeah, this guy won't stop talking. He won't stop talking. He won't stop saying bad things. He won't stop talking about the temple. And it even says, can we go back to the next thing, Ren? Then they, um, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That is a weird way to end that, so we're going to come back to that. But basically, they're like, I heard this guy. He's blaspheming against Moses. He's blaspheming against God. He's saying bad things. And also, he keeps saying that Jesus is going to destroy this temple. Like, in ancient Jewish tradition, there are four things you don't mess with. God, Moses, the temple, and the law. You don't mess with those things. And apparently they're saying Stephen messed with all four of those things. And that's just not cool. And so he's standing in front of the Sanhedrin. And if you remember correctly from Acts 5, that was the same place that Peter and them were preaching in in the Sanhedrin. That's when they got whipped on their back and beat. And they're like, don't talk about Jesus anymore. We'll beat you. And then they beat him again. And they're like, okay, yeah, sure. And then they leave the Sanhedrin. And Acts 5.41 says they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name. And then guess what they do? They go right back out and they preach again. And the Sanhedrin is the same group earlier that keeps getting riled up. So this is like the Supreme Court. Every time they go and they have an issue, they drag them to the Sanhedrin and they scold them and they yell at them and they they convict them. And every time people have said, that's great, I don't care, I'm going to focus on Jesus. And this is the same thing here. They bring Stephen in front and they say, here's what you're charged with. And then there's this odd verse at the end where it says, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I have no idea what to do with that. But what I do think is that when they looked at him, there was something about his complexion, something about his face, that when they looked at it, it was different. Like, think of Moses when he sees God's train. I actually talked about that last time I spoke. And his face was like blaring light like the sun. There's something about it that people were like, yeah, yeah, but look at his face. There's something about this guy. So again, I, I don't have any seminary understanding of why this verse is in there. But there's something really special about Stephen. There's something special about his relationship with Jesus that is even evident in just his complexion. And so they, 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 they basically charge him with all of this stuff. And then verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, Then the high priest asked Stephen, So are these charges true? Did you do this? You know what Stephen said? You can't handle the truth. No, 
he actually told them the truth at that point. So they're like, are you guilty of this? Did you do this? And Stephen's like, okay. It's going to get real really fast. And so he says, okay, so you're accusing me of talking bad against our, our founding fathers, Moses. You, you accuse me of talking bad about God, about the temple, about the law. Let me tell you a little story. This is a really fascinating speech that Stephen gives. He goes and he starts with Abraham. He doesn't say, I didn't do that. He doesn't refute them. He doesn't get in this argumentative game with them. Here's an aside. is No one was won to Jesus through an argument. Like, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. I don't ever see someone arguing, and the other guy's like, oh, you're right. How do I sign up for that? And that, that translates very much so into our day and age. And, and I'm talking not just the people you're like, oh, that guy on Facebook, it's crazy. I'm talking about you and me making claims and arguing and fighting and, and just really just turning this into a debate. No one ever came to Jesus because of a debate. It just never happened. And so Stephen, knowing that logic, wasn't going to be like, well, let me tell you where you're wrong. I didn't do that. That guy's lying. I have video footage. Like, he doesn't go there. He says, let me tell you a story. And he starts with the story of the Jewish people. So he's looking at these Jewish people who are accusing him. And he says, okay, if this is about a story, let me tell you the story. And so he goes through, he says, the God of glory, this is verse 2, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even ground to set his foot on, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though Abraham at the time didn't have a child. So God, he tells him, he goes, God went to Abraham and said, hey, listen, I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you a descendancy, and it's going to be so vast and so numerous you can't even imagine. Now go there. And so Stephen starts recounting the story of Genesis. And he says, so Abraham went here, and he lived in this land, and he didn't have a child. And then there's the story, and it doesn't say this in the text, but if we can go through Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, he says, um, this is the story of Abraham's child Isaac, who then God says, hey, I want you to go sacrifice Isaac. And so there's this whole story where Abraham leads his own only son up the mountain, knowing that God has promised him descendants, going, okay, I'm going to have to sacrifice my son. And there's this amazing moment that happens there. Go read it, Genesis 22. And then he says, then Isaac was Abraham's son, and Isaac had a child. He had Jacob and Esau, and through Jacob, he gave him his birthright and his blessing. Cody talked about that a few weeks ago. And there's Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and one of those sons is Joseph. And this is Stephen just talking. He goes, and then we have these, these 12 sons, and Joseph is one of the sons. And Joseph is, you know, his brothers are so prideful and so arrogant and so jealous of Joseph that they kick him out, and they send him as a slave to Egypt, but God decides, no, no, that's not how this is going down. Then he raises Joseph up within Egypt, an outsider within Egypt, into a prominent position where Pharaoh is for Joseph. And then there's a famine in the land, and Jacob says, hey, go check out Egypt. I hear there's food there. And so the other brothers go to Egypt, and they check out, and they're like, yeah, there's food. They go back, like, there's food. And Jacob's like, go get the food. And so they, wouldn't that be weird? There's a famine. Yeah, yeah, there's food a couple hundred miles away. We just got back. Did you bring any? No. What do you want us to do? Go get the food. So he's like, go get the food. So they go back to Egypt. And this is when Joseph, who was sold by his brothers into slavery, is like, hey, it's me, the brother you guys sold into slavery. And all his brothers are like, oh, no. 
he's really powerful now. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I love you guys. You're my brothers. Let's go. And he says, go get dad and all of our descendants. And so they go and they get 75 of his family to come back. I don't, I don't even want my parents to visit that often. He's like, get all of them, right? And they bring all 75. And listen to what Stephen says. The number of, ready for this word? Our people. The number of our people in Egypt has greatly increased. So Joseph is like, go get your brothers, go get, your, go get dad, go get Aunt Betty, like get them all, bring them to Egypt. I got this. Like I'm, the Pharaoh's my boy. This is, there's food here. And that's how the whole tribe gets there. Just like God said, I'm going to take your descendants and I'm going to send them to Egypt. And then magically they're all there. Just like the prophecy had said years and years and years ago. And so now they're all in Egypt and they're under the protection of the Pharaoh. And then it says, Stephen says, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing to came to power in Egypt. Now, if we remember back, Stephen references the promise that God gave Abraham. He said, hey, just so you know, I'm going to give you descendants, but you're going to spend, they're going to spend 400 years in exile. And it's going to be really hard for them. Really, really hard for them. But I will deliver them because they are my people. And so this is what happens. They bring all their people to Egypt, and it's all great. And then a new pharaoh, who Joseph meant nothing to, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so they would die. And so he tells the story of Moses where he's like, everything just got horrible. We got completely oppressed. And then Moses appears out of nowhere, and God is like, Moses, you're going to lead your people out. And so Moses, at the age of 40, was like, now is the time. And he steps out on the streets, and he accidentally kills a guy. You're like, what? Read Exodus. It's wild, okay? He accidentally kills a guy, and he's like, maybe now's not the time. And he runs away because he's like, they're going to arrest me. And then he comes back 40 years later after this whole burning bush experience, which is wild. He comes back 40 years later at the ripe old age of 80, and he takes his people, and he says, guys, it's time to go. God is delivering us. And so then there's that story where if you've seen the Ten Commandments with um, Charlton Heston, right? I almost said someone completely different. That would have been weird. Um, and the, the Red Sea parts, and he leads the um, Israelites out of Egypt, and he frees them, and the, the Red Sea crushes the Egyptian army, and they get out in the desert, and they're safe, and they've been delivered. And Moses is going, this is so great. And then they wander for 40 years in the desert. And they do a lot of terrible things in the desert. They completely forgot, again, the promise. They completely forgot the promise again. And then they finally get delivered by Joshua, who comes next after Moses died. And Joshua gets to lead them in the promised land. And so now they finally, after hundreds of years, made it to the promised land. And they're there. And then David shows up on the scene. And David is like the coolest dude and the weirdest dude all at once. At one point, he's like dancing naked because he's so excited. And everyone's like, why are you dancing naked? And he's like, because I'm so excited. Like, that's where they got the Saved by the Bell scene from. Like, it's so good. And David shows up and he's like, God, I have this great idea. We've been carrying you around, the Ark of the Covenant, this, this like book of rules that you gave us. We've been carrying it around in a, in a little like box. Can we build you a temple? And God's like, sure, build me a temple. That sounds great. And David doesn't even get to do it because he dies. And Samuel, his son, gets to build this incredible temple. Solomon. Woof. But you know what's great is that you corrected me. I'm serious. That speaks volumes. Because um, it'd be weird if you're like, yeah, yeah, great. That guy, he seems cool. Um, 
And then Solomon gets to build this temple. And this is, this is Stephen's whole speech. He's just walking the Jewish people through their own history. It would be like if I sat here and explained to you American history. Like, we know. We took it every year. For like a thousand years, we know our history. Yeah, and then it gets really real. Then Stephen says, let's put it up there, verse 51. He looks at them and he says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. He changes the verb from our to your. And he says, you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. Talking about Jesus. This is he literally looks at me, you killed Jesus. I mean, this, is, this is real. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. He's like, you literally had this handed to you on a silver platter. I mean, God literally was with Moses, and he was like, just take this to them. It's a, it's a book. Well, a tablet, but just take it to them. They don't even have to guess. You had it handed to you by angels. And he looks at them right in the eyes. He's like, you stiff-necked, arrogant people. How do you think that's going to go over? Horribly. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth. I think I have that. Yeah. I don't know what gnashing of the teeth is. I assume it's like, I just want you to picture these people like, right? When they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, I want you to remember this. This is not Stephen going on his little soapbox. This is not Stephen blasting off on Instagram. This is Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the words of God, saying this. Look, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Don't go any further. This is so crazy. So he just lambasts them. He's like, you arrogant people. You have How many prophets have to show up that you have to kill because you don't want to listen to them? And then he looks up and he sees Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And immediately he is validated by the gospel. Everything that he has staked his life on, everything that he is preaching, everything that he's proclaiming, that Jesus was the son of God who came down, died, rose after three days, saved us from our sins, and then went up and sat at the right hand of God. Everything he's been preaching, he looks up and he goes, oh yeah, yeah, it's real. Amazing. Then he had to put his eyes back down. Let's keep going. Look, he said, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. At this, they covered, this is like a child's response. At this, they covered up their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. They freak out. He's like, guys, I'm telling you, I'm looking at Jesus sitting next to God. You're missing it. Everything that the prophets have told us about the coming of Jesus is here, and it happened, and you're missing it. And they're like, ah! and they just freak out, and they grab him, and they drag him out of the city, and they stone him. Now, this is going to sound ridiculous, but there is a way to humanely stone someone and inhumanely stone someone. Oftentimes, they would get them very drunk, and then they would pelt them with stones in an effort to make it not as horrible. But this was not that. This was a mob that grabbed him, drug him out of the city, and pelted him to death with stones. 
Let's finish really quickly. Is there any more, Brian? Yeah. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Before we go, I want you to hear this. Stephen is definitely a martyr for the faith, and he definitely deserves our respect. But he's not to be lifted any higher than he already is, because this is what he did. It says in the scriptures that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. It says that if you want to find your life, you'll lose it. And those who lose their life, right? And so this is exactly what Stephen did. He looked at what Jesus did, and he followed his Savior. Very similar to Jesus, they accused him of things that he had not done, blasphemy against God and against Moses and against Abraham and against the law and the temple. And then they had this illegal trial for him, and they found him guilty. But without even just saying guilty, they just went crazy, and they drug him out of the city, just like they drug Jesus out of the city, and they murdered him just outside the city. And before he was murdered, just like Jesus, he looked out and said, Father, don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. He forgave them. And then he says, I commit my spirit to you, just like Jesus did. So he's literally just modeling. I know, I know what my Savior did, so I'm going to do that. It's really just a cool picture. But where I want to go with what time we have left is this. He looked at the people, and he said, you stiff-necked people, you, you're so arrogant. I'm giving, here's what I want to do. I want you to know that you have just missed the point. You've missed it. You've read all the scriptures, and you've missed Jesus. And so you've done everything right, but you missed Jesus. And so you're off. You're wrong. And he's like basically saying, repent. Because he doesn't refute them. He doesn't say, you're wrong. You're wrong. I don't, I, I'm not guilty of this. He just tells them the story and says, here you go. But the story is, and everyone knows that if you're Jewish, that the Savior comes to redeem. And so he basically gives them an opportunity and says, so here it is. You saw it. You just missed one thing, and I'm giving you a chance to redeem yourself. I'm giving you a chance to repent. And instead of repenting, they go the opposite way, and they drag him out of the street, and they kill him. The issue here, and I want to make sure that we talk about how it relates to us. The issue here is they missed the whole point of all the stories were about Jesus. They weren't about them. It wasn't about church. It wasn't about religion. It wasn't about attitude. It wasn't about behavior. It was about Jesus Christ and the gospel. And they missed it because they didn't know the story correctly or because they had manipulated the gospel story to fit a need that they had. They missed the gospel. And we do that all the time. And this is what part that scared me as I was preparing this because I was like, oh my gosh, all, all I want, every time, every time I read this, all I want to do is say, hey, we need to know the story because we are at risk of being these people if we don't know the story properly. We're at the risk of being really religious people because we don't know the story that the gospel doesn't lift up the religious. God opposes the proud and gives what? Grace to the humble. And so I thought, okay, so the issue here is they missed the story. They're wrong on the story. We have to get the story right. We have to know the story. So how do you know the story? You have to, you have to, you have to read it. You have to have someone tell it to you. You have to imprint it on your brain. You have to imprint it on your heart. You have to know where it is. I mean, if this is what we're going to center our life on, think about these, these Jewish people. This is their whole life. This is what they focus their whole life on. And they totally whiffed. And so if you and I are going to focus our entire life on this, we have to know it. 
Like, here, here's the scary thing. This book is really thick, but it is half the width of a Harry Potter book. And this is not a condemnation. It says in Romans 8.1, does anyone know Romans 8.1? Thank you, Madeline. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So before I say what I'm going to say, I want you to know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no con- condemnation. But have you read this book, like the whole thing? It's scary. It's a scary book. It's very long. It's very hard to read sometimes. It's scary. I get that. But think about this. Let's say you went to medical school, and it's three years long, and you only went to two years, but then you got a job as a surgeon. And someone shows up, and they're like, he needs heart surgery, and you're the only doctor here. And you're like, well, I missed that part of doctor school. I didn't read that part. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of TV, and I've, I, I know Jay Nunez. He's a doctor, so I, and he's talked to me about it, so... I'm sure I can figure this out. That'd be terrifying, right? I mean, there's commercials right now where Geico commercials where, like, the doctor's like, yeah, yeah, everything's going to be maybe okay. And he's like, wait, maybe okay? And he's like, yeah, I just, I just got my license back. Right? The whole joke is that they're not really qualified to do what they're doing. And so I know that this is really scary, but if we don't know the scriptures and they're not our anchor, then what story do you know and what story are you telling? What story are you believing? And, and here's the thing, I'm a, sh- I'm a sheep in this flock. I'm not the shepherd here, so I don't want to preach at you. But I literally looked myself, I said, have I read this whole book? And then I realized earlier this week, I have not read Nahum. And some of you are like, Nahu? <laughs> Nahum, it's a three-chapter book in here. And I was like, oh, oh, I got to read it. So I read it. It's really fascinating. Basically, what happened was after Jonah was told to go and preach to the Ninevites, that God was very upset with their behavior, they kind of like quelled it down a little bit, but then they ramped it back up, and God was like, Nahum, you're up. And Nahum was like, hey, I know that Jonah already told you, but God is really not okay with this behavior, and he's really going to kill all of you if you don't get it together. And like a parent, but like a bad parent, would be like, I'm going to count to 200 years, and then it's coming. <laughs> right? But, he, but that's what he was. He was like, you've got 200 years, not to, not to fix your life, but to repent. And I think repenting is the scariest part for us because we're like, I, if I'm doing something wrong or if I've missed the gospel or if I'm living and believing an incorrect version of the story, repenting is scary because it feels like I have to earn so much back. I have to work so hard to get back. Oh, I've never read the Bible. i got to repent, but i got to start on day one and crank this mother out in a week. That's not what repentance is asking. Repentance is simply you saying, God, I'm, I, I whiffed. I'm off. I missed. I sinned. I'm wrong. And then God's saying, okay. There's a, there's a couple of verses in Jeremiah. Let me read this to you. They're really cool. That's not Jeremiah. Okay. I need like eight of these little ribbon thingies. Okay. This is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 3. It says, return. This is God talking. Return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Listen to this. I will choose you. Then it says again in chapter 22, return faithless people. I will cure your backsliding. I thought about this today when I was walking. Ollie, Ollie has this, my son Oliver, has this weird uh, thing. He, has like a, like a, he looks like a geriatric person with a walker. But he refuses to walk on his own. And we're walking. And every day he walks down the street, turns left, two blocks to the tracks. And you're like, why would you let your son walk on the tracks? Because it's not a very busy tracks. Okay. Um, <laughs> and he will walk across the four corners for an hour right? But the second he is done, he will stop no matter where he is, and he will reach his hands up, and I will pick him up immediately. 
And I was thinking, that is literally the response that God is looking for. He says, I just want you to tell me that you're wrong. Tell me that you missed it. And the second you do, I will sweep you up. Because that's what grace is. That's not God. God doesn't, God, here's the crazy thing. Stephen had said, you stiff-necked, arrogant people, you missed it. And one guy was like, oh, you're right. He would have been like, awesome, come here, Bill, let me give you a hug. That's, that's what repentance is. And so the, the, the thing is, this is what I want to end with. This is where I want to go. The whole thing that Stephen was reading, he wasn't doing it to condemn them. He was doing it because he said, guys, you have the story. You just missed the crucial point. Everything in the Old Testament is a giant arrow that points to Jesus. And everything from the Gospels on is still teaching that brings you back to Jesus. The gospel is not something that we go to just to get saved and then we start reading the letters of Paul to get educated. You never, ever, we never lose our need for the gospel. And so he's saying, guys, Moses was amazing and he deserves our praise and our honor because he was pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is the perfected Moses. Jesus led his people out of slavery and delivered them to the promised land. He says, the law is beautiful. The rules were given not to condemn you, but to give you life. Like, no one would say, David, you are wicked for telling your son not to drink the Drano under the sink. We'll be like, well, he really wants it. Well, then if he really wants it, then you should give it to him because that's... No, I say, you don't ever drink that ever. It's not even like maybe one time. Just check it out. You know what I mean? That's, there's a rule there, and it's not designed to hurt him. It's designed to give him life, literally. And, Jesus is, or, and then Stephen looks and he says, guys, the temple is awesome, and it was so pretty and so sweet. And when Jesus says he's going to knock it over, he basically says this, I don't live in a temple built by your hands. I'm bringing heaven to earth, and that will be our temple. And he's just perfecting. You guys have this great story, but you've missed it, and you've missed it, and you've missed it. And God just says, I, I came to perfect all these things. I came to answer every prophet that showed up. Jesus answered them, and you missed it. And he's not saying you're condemned and you're an idiot and you're done for. He's saying, guys, just repent. Turn from that. Let's start following Jesus together. And so I don't want us to read that story and be like, yeah, man, Stephen really got those guys, and then they got him in the end. That's not, that's not what we want. What we want us to say is we want to be a people that know the story that we follow. You have to know it. You have to read it. You have to. A lot of us are like, well, I got it on my phone. I don't actually have a real Bible. Go get a real Bible. This is not from the church. This is David Drees over here. Go get a real Bible so you can write in it. So you can underline things that you have questions about. You can highlight things that you love. But read the whole thing. Just like Cody talked about the other day, you got to read Acts 4. Even though we don't like that Ananias and Sapphira get killed because they lied. Because everyone in the room is going, I have lied as well. <laughs> right? But you have to read it, and you got to read it, and then you got to go to Cody and be like, what do I do with this? What am I supposed to do with this story? We have to know this story. We have to know the gospel really, really well, because we, first of all, we can't tell it to anyone else if we don't know it. And that's not a precaution to be like, well, I guess I never have to do evangelism. No, no, that's not what I mean. No, no, that's not what I mean. What I'm saying is we can't be sidewalk preachers. We can't be Instagram truth-tellers. If it's not a real truth for us, and I'm speaking from a very humble spot, because it's not like you get it and then you always get it. Like, you get it and then I forget it half the time, and you have to keep going back to it. You ha- That's what, how many, how many sermons have we heard? It's only six chapters in. 
They just keep telling the same sermon. Cody is going to tell you the same sermon until the day he drops, and it's going to be about the gospel and about Jesus and his people. That's it. So we just have to. I'm two and a half minutes over, so we're going to have to end this in a second. There's not another service. What are they going to do? Um, I'm just... I just want to read one more thing to you. I want to read Psalm 19 and not the whole thing. For those of you who like know the Bible, you're like, that's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. <laughs> legit, legit the longest one. Um, but I want to read some of it to you because Psalm 119 is really cool because it's about the word. It's about the scriptures. These are, this is our anchor. This is where we know if it's the spirit talking to us or our flesh talking to us. This is your anchor. And so we have to love the word. And some of us are like, hey, where did it come from? Well, this is, this is God divine, right? This is, it says in 1 Timothy 3.16, and Sarah, is that right? Or is it second? It's one of the 1 Timothys or 2 Timothy 3.16, but it says all scripture is God breathed. All scripture, all scripture is God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is the word of God. It also says in John 1, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God. Ready for this? And the Word was God. And then it says in chapter, verse 13 of chapter 1, and the Word took on flesh and dwelt among us. That's a pretty neat way of saying Jesus is the Word, and he took on flesh. But the Word is so, so important. It says in Psalm 1, it says we delight on the law of the Word. We meditate on it day and night. We're like a tree planted by streams of water who yield our fruit in season. Our leaves do not wither. That is how nourishing the Word is. I'm getting like the eye from all the pastors. Let me finish. Um, I want you to hear the words of the psalmist in 119 talking about God's word. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of, of the Lord. So all these words are different words for this. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts or principles or rules that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast to obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a person stay on the path of purity? Listen, by living according to your word. That's how you do it. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. A few more. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as you rejoice in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. It is not about feeling happy. It is about meditating and loving the law because that brings us joy. That brings us life. That brings us Jesus. Stephen knew that and he said, you just got to know the story and don't miss Jesus. So my challenge for us, read something in here that you've never read and enjoy it and ask questions about it and do it before I see you again next week. Okay? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you that um, your gospel is really, really good and that it's true and that we can count on it. I pray that you would give us the strength to believe it, 
the strength to read it, the knowledge to know it, and the heart to enjoy it and preach it and live it. God, don't let us miss you in the midst of doing life. Amen.